voice, wasn't it? Amen. What a blessing that is. Hebrews chapter 11, while the children are being dismissed this morning, Hebrews chapter 11, blessing to have our Bibles, isn't it? Uh, we still live in a nation where you can read your Bible and have your Bible, and let's not take that for granted. One little uh, one brother, little brother asked his sister, said, why does grandma study her Bible so much? And the boy said, I'm not sure, but I think she's studying for her finals. Uh, we should be studying all through, shouldn't we? Even though sometimes we pick it up as the years go on. We're in Hebrews chapter 11. We're talking about the heroes of the faith. And today we come to Sarah. Sarah is Abraham's wife. And uh, she's one of only two women who's named in Hebrews 11. Uh, Sarah found in verse number 11. Then in verse number 31 we find Rahab. Uh, and uh, we, we're looking at Sarah today. She accomplished much by faith. She's a great encouragement to all those who will not allow uh, themselves to be crippled by uh, their own weaknesses or allow their past failures to pull them down. Sarah's faith is in a very practical area, and that's the area of childbearing. Now, sometimes we think about the word faith, and we've talked about what faith is. Faith is simply a belief-inspired obedience. But sometimes we think about having faith, and we think it's got to be something gigantic. We've got to have faith to work a 100 years building a boat to the saving of mankind. Or last week we talked about Abraham, who, who left everything he knew and took his family to a new nation. And we think of faith as big things. Well, that might be true. Faith is required for those things, but... Uh, certainly, faith is also required for our everyday life. Sarah, she had faith in the area of having a baby. And faith should be applied to our personal areas of life. Look with me at verse number 11. Through faith also Sarah herself received strength to conceive seed and was delivered of a child when she was past age because she judged him faithful who had promised. <coughs> Therefore sprang there even of one, and him as good as dead, so many as the stars of the sky and multitude and as the sand which is by the seashore, innumerable. I want to preach today for a few minutes on Sarah and the three laughs. Sarah and the three laughs. Father, I pray that you'd be with us as we read your word here and unpack some of these verses. Help us, Lord, to learn what we need to learn to apply to our personal lives in Jesus' name, amen. Today, the passage is about a person who had faith concerning having a baby. Now, there are different feelings among different people in different situations about the idea of having a baby. I remember when I heard the news that my first child was going to be was that my wife was expecting with my first child. Man, was I excited. I got, I was sitting in class and, uh, right in the middle of class, somebody, uh, opened the door and, and said, and motioned that I had a, a phone call and it was an emergency. And so not knowing what it was, I went out to the phone. It was my wife all excited telling me that we are expecting, uh, our first child. And man, was that an exciting thing. I mean, I was telling everybody that I met in the hallway, I'm going to be a dad. And, uh, it was an exciting thing. We, we had eight children, and uh, I remember when she found out she was expecting our eighth child, the call started a little differently. I'm so sorry. 
but it's going to be okay. We're going to be just fine. We're going to make it. I'd never been on suicide watch before until my wife is expecting our eighth child. So the feelings are different about children, but, but Sarah, Sarah, the Bible says she was barren. She could not have children. And here are, the Bible starts out by telling us, through faith, Sarah also received, or herself received strength to conceive. I think it's funny here that it says Sarah herself received strength to conceive. So looking here at the person of faith, uh, it emphasizes that it was Sarah who exercised faith. Now, I, I need that word herself in this verse. I don't know if you do, because if you read the Old Testament, you see no evidence of Sarah having any faith. We're going to look at a passage in just a little bit. But the Bible says here in Hebrews that Sarah herself, she had faith. It wasn't only Abraham, but it was Sarah as well. <clears throat> Look at, if you actually turn back to Genesis 18, I'll keep your finger, or if you've got one of those uh, bookmarks, keep that in Hebrews chapter 11, because we're going to be spending time there. But we're going to look at a passage over in Genesis chapter 18. And what is recorded here about Sarah is, is not very commendable. Genesis chapter 18, and we're going to start reading at verse number 1. Uh, Genesis 18. And the Lord appeared unto him that uh, is talking about Abraham in the plains of Mamre, and he sat at the tent door in the heat of the day, and he lifted up his eyes and looked, and lo, three men stood by him. When he saw them, he ran to meet them from the tent door and bowed himself toward the ground. And he said, My Lord, if now I have found favor in thy sight, pass not away, I pray thee, from thy servant. Let a little water, I pray you, be fetched, and wash your feet, and rest yourselves under the tree, and I will fetch a morsel of bread, and comfort ye your hearts. After that uh, ye shall pass on, for therefore are ye come to your servant. And they said, So do as thou hast said. And so Abraham hasted uh, from the tent unto Sarah, and said, Make ready quickly three measures of fine meal, knead it, and make cake upon the hearth. And Abraham ran unto the herd, and fetched a calf, tender and good, and gave it to the young man, and he hasted to dress it. And he took butter and milk and the calf, which he had dressed, and set it before them. And he stood by them under the tree as they did eat. And they said unto him, Where's Sarah, thy wife? And he said, Behold, in the tent. And he said, I will certainly return unto thee according to the time of life. And said, Lo, Sarah, thy wife, shall have a son. In the translation, when it says here, according to thy time of life, basically, Talma, in a year. In a year, we're going to come back. And this is going to happen. Sarah... Thy wife shall have a son. And Sarah heard it in the tent door, which was behind him. Now Abraham and Sarah were old and well stricken in age, and it ceased to be with Sarah after the manner of women. Therefore Sarah laughed within herself, saying, After I am waxed old, shall I have pleasure, my Lord being old also? And the Lord said unto Abraham, Wherefore did Sarah laugh? Verse 14, Is there anything... <clears throat> too hard for the Lord? That's a good question for us to consider, isn't it? Anything too hard for the Lord. So first we see the reason that we kind of doubt Sarah's faith, and, and I think I need that word herself, is, is her doubt. She had a lot of doubts. Uh, she, the, the story here that we read begins uh, soon after, around noon or soon after. It was, the Bible said, the heat of the day. It was a time that people in Easter lands uh, in that time were, were uh, took a, basically like a siesta would be, uh, rested a little bit. And he's sitting at the tent door there. He's enjoying some shade and whatever breeze came his way. And suddenly he has three men standing beside him. Now the way that the Bible tells us here is kind of like he, he, they were there or they weren't there and then they were there. Uh, like they just almost appeared uh, all of a sudden. 
And so he rubs his eyes. Where did these men come from here? And, and uh, maybe he realized at this point that these were more than just mere men. Uh, when he saw them, the Bible says he ran to meet them from the tent door. Now, Abraham is nearly 100 years old here. And so probably not the best thing for a hundred-year-old man to do is start running around places, you know. I mean, Abraham, watch your heart, okay? You're getting old, but he's run, he runs back and forth here. He prostrated himself uh, before the Lord. Listen, in the presence of God, there should ever, never be any flippant behavior on our part. And Abraham showed that as he bowed down before the Lord. Everything about these verses speaks of Abraham's haste. Twice it says that he ran to serve his guests. In verse number 6, it tells him he came into Sarah. He said, hey, quickly, quickly, make some biscuits, essentially is what he's saying to her. And then he ran out and he gets a calf. He told the servant to do the same thing because it says that he hasted to dress it. They were going to rush to do what they could uh, to serve these men uh, coming from the Lord. I like a man or a lady who will hustle to get things done, don't you? Somebody who will move, somebody who has a little bit of gumption about them. Abraham Lincoln said, things may come to those who wait, but only things left by those who hustle. Uh, There's a little truth to that, isn't it? And I like those people that will uh, go to work and get the job done. In fact, uh, it just burns me up, maybe it does you too, when I see people that uh, refused to do their job. It was a few years ago, I was a youth pastor at that time, and, and I had a, a busload of teenagers, and we had a, an emergency on the bus, a uh, life-threatening emergency. I found that it had been more than 15 minutes since some of these teenagers had eaten, and they were just about to starve to death. And so they were, uh, the complaints like the children of Israel murmuring before the Lord, the murmur started to float up toward the bus driver. We've got to stop and get something to eat. And so we, it was getting late and we stopped at a, at a fast food and uh, the parking lot was close to empty. They were still open. Not many people inside. I said, this will work out. Uh, we'll get done pretty quick. I would never tell you the name of the restaurant. Oh, they serve Frosties there. But uh, So we're, we go into the restaurant and I come up to the counter and I usually like to get first in line so that I can be finished in time to drive the bus. And so uh, I was there, and, and I remember it clearly. We were standing, we were the only people in the restaurant, and the workers were walking around the back of the store. And we stood there, and we just waited, and we made eye contact. So a couple of them were mopping, and they just looked, and they just let us stand there. And we stood there. I counted. I timed it. For five minutes, we stood there. Do you know how long five minutes is to stand at a fast food counter when they won't help you, but they're watching you? So we turned around and we left and went to the Golden Arches instead, got served there. And, uh, of course, I had a nice talk with that manager the next day and worked out some things. But Abraham, this wasn't Abraham here. He's busy. He's running around. He's making sure that these men are served. In fact, if you read through the passage, you find that Abraham had initiative. He saw them and he invited them to stay. He had honor, showed honor to them. He bowed himself low to the ground. He had a desire to give them something to eat, to serve them. He had sacrifice. He chose a tender choice calf to eat. He had speed. He hurried to serve them. He had attentiveness he stood while they ate by the way it's instructive for us because right after this they're going to go visit lot in sodom it's an interesting little study for you to maybe this week look at how lot treated these men versus how abraham treated these men you know what lot fed them when they got to sodom abram feeds them uh she gave a list of what he fed them lot gave them unleavened bread 
Abraham, he feeds them here filet mignon. He feeds them bread. He gives them butter. He gives them milk. And it's in the Greek, Brother Ponto, but it was unpasteurized milk. Amen. Uh, there's a big difference in how a, how a Christian treats God and how a worldly Christian or an, or an unsaved person treats God. And a meal draws to a close. They ask a question. They said, where's Sarah, thy wife? As if he didn't know. You know where Sarah was? She was back in the tent here with her ear glued to the tent flap, listening to what was going on out there. We know that because she overheard what was said next. And uh, uh, by the way, he knew where Sarah was. God always knows where Sarah is. But he, he said, lo, Sarah, thy wife shall have a son. Now, of course, Sarah overheard it as God knew she would and probably intended her to. Sarah's going to have a son. The promise had already been given to Abraham. Now it's also given to Sarah through her eavesdropping. And she hears this promise, and it's just too much for her. I mean, they're old. They are beyond the years of being able to have children. Uh, she's past menopause. She's not uh, in a physical state anymore to have any children. And so she hears him say this, and uh, so thinking about the impossibility of it, she, <laughs> she laughs about it. Uh, child? No way. That would be a miracle. I want to look at, just take a moment and look at Sarah's life and the three laughs that surrounded this whole idea of, of uh, the promise of Isaac coming. The first laugh occurs when Sarah's 89 and uh, Abraham is 99. By now, any chance is gone uh, of them having any children, all right, uh, because they're too old to do that. Then God appears to Abraham in Genesis chapter 17, and he gives them this message in verse 15, as for Sarah thy wife, I will bless her and give thee a son also of her, verse 16, yea, uh, yea I will bless her and she shall be a mother of nations, kings of people shall be of her. This reaffirms the covenant, and how did Abraham respond to this message? Verse 17, then Abraham fell on his face, here's the first one, and laughed. He laughed, and he said within his heart, shall a child be born unto him that is a hundred years old, and shall Sarah that is ninety years old bear? Now, I got a question. What kind of laugh was this? Because we, we, can, we can laugh in different ways when we respond to something. But was this a laugh like, yeah, right, I'm an old man. There's no way that's going to happen. Or was it a laugh of joy and amazement? Wow, I'm going to have a child at age 100. Now, the New Testament seems to intimate that it was the latter one. In fact, if you go over to Romans chapter 4, verse 19, the Bible says, And being not weak in faith, he, talking about Abraham, considered not his own body dead, which it was as far as childbearing was, uh, when he was about a hundred years old, neither yet the deadness of Sarah's womb. Now, by the way, Sarah's womb was twofold dead. She was not only too old to have children, but she was also barren. So he did not consider that. He staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strong in faith, giving glory to God. But now Abraham wasn't the only one to laugh, and that's what brings us here to where we are today. Uh, what we just read the passage. And he says, why did you laugh? Sarah's, no, I didn't laugh. Oh, yes, you did laugh. Poor Sarah, trying to pull the wool over the eyes of the Lord. How many times do we do that? Sometimes we're caught in something or called out on something, and out of fear, we instantly 
without thinking, lie about it. That's what Sarah did. But this lie is to the one who knows all. Shall he that made the ear not hear? Shall he made the, who made the eye not see? Rhetorical questions, of course he will. And so, uh, but according to the book of Hebrews, despite this response of Sarah, she did believe. She had faith. We know that because of what we read to Hebrews. So now you can jump back into the book of Hebrews, uh, chapter 11, where we started from, and we'll spend the rest of our time there. Uh, now the third time that we find laughter in Sarah's life is in Genesis chapter 21. I'll just read you these verses. Verse 1, the Bible says, And the Lord did unto Sarah as he had spoken. So God said she'd have a baby. She had a baby. God said she would conceive. She conceived. And he did it exactly when he promised that it would happen. God's always good for his word. You know what her response was? Here's the third laugh, Genesis 21, 6. And Sarah said, God hath made me to laugh. And all those that hear to laugh with me. Her initial laughter was one of unbelief. Now it was replaced with a laughter of joy and laughter of wonder. And I think God smiled a little bit too because, you know, before Sarah ever laughed, before Abraham ever laughed, you know what God said? You're going to have a boy and you're going to name him Isaac. You know what Isaac means? Laughter. Or he shall laugh. I think God also uh, enjoyed this doing this for them. This son, Isaac, would be a constant reminder to both parents that although they initially laughed at the very idea, now they can laugh in joy and in wonder of what God did for them in their life. You know what made the difference? Faith. Faith. She had faith. Abraham had faith. But back to where Sarah is now. We have not only the age problem, but we also have the fact that she was barren, according to Genesis chapter 11, verse 30. It was a great burden uh, to women in those days. May I say that uh, it was then, as it really should be, where, when babies were a blessing from God. Amen? Not something we got rid of. Uh, they, it was a time when motherhood was valued, and uh, women wanted to be mothers. And uh, the, today, if, if a woman is barren, I know there's some things that the even medical field can't do for them, but, uh, you know, there's, a, there's treatment that you can get, and there's things that you can do to overcome that uh, situation. But in this time that Sarah lived, barrenness was considered permanent. Nothing that you could do about it. It was a rare thing for a barren woman to give birth. But can I tell you today that God seems to relish in impossible situations? Some of the greatest men in the Bible came from barren women. I think of Joseph. He came from a barren woman. I think of Samuel. Came from Hannah, who was barren. I think of Samson and John the Baptist. Uh, these great men came from women who were barren and nothing could be done, but then God stepped in. I'll tell you today, friend, that God can still act in your impossible situations today. Through faith, also, Sarah herself received strength. I love the fact that Sarah, praise God, by the way, for women of faith. Now, we know the Bible, especially in the Old Testament, was a male-dominated field. By the way, the best thing that ever happened to women was Christianity. Study it. Study your history. Uh, but uh, it was a male-dominated field. But here, two women were mentioned. Sarah, thank God for women of faith. And by the way, she herself uh, uh, miserably failed in the beginning. But we know, according to Hebrews, that she came back. It's good for us as well to realize, because how many of us haven't failed in our faith? How many of us haven't fallen? You can overcome your failure and do great things for God. Sarah's a great example of this. She laughed at what God said. And then she ends up in Hebrews chapter 11 as one of the heroes who had great faith. 
You can overcome those things. It's not how many times you fall down that determines your faith success, but how many times you get back up. And you know what faith does? Faith picks you up. And it'll do that over and over. Then we come to the praise from faith. Look what the Bible says. She judged him faithful who had promised. So somewhere along the line, between this Sarah standing by the tent flap and overhearing and laughing about it, and to the time that Isaac was born, somewhere along the line, Sarah changed her mind. She changed her thinking. We don't know exactly when that happened, but uh, you know what I think uh, changed Sarah's attitude? And don't miss this. It's the same thing that we need to deal with in our Christian life as well. When we get our eyes off of our impossibility, we get our eyes off of our circumstances, and we get our eyes onto an all-powerful God. We see that's what happened to Sarah. She judged him faithful who had promised. Get your eyes off of your problems. Did you know that your God is bigger than your problems? Always. And that's what Sarah did. I think she got herself straightened out when she finally judged him faithful. She finally started to think more highly of God than her own physical impossibility and improbability. You want to overcome your doubt, friend? You want to increase your faith in your life? Get a good dose of God in your life, and that will change your faith. It'll increase your faith. You say, preacher, how do you do that? Well, I'm glad you asked because I have a couple of answers here for you. Uh, I, I think there's three very simple ones that'll change the, your faith. I, I guarantee it'll increase your faith. Number one, every single day of your life, open this book and let God speak to you through it. Can I tell you today, you will not live a victorious Christian life without cracking open this book and reading it on a regular basis. You've got to read God's love letter, his manual to you. By the way, do you know what the most widely distributed yet most unread book in America is today? It's not this one. I'm not going to ruin it for you. It's not the Bible. This is a book almost every adult, statistically speaking, in America has one, and very few have ever read it. You want to take a guess? No, not the dictionary. Probably would be good for those on Facebook to read the dictionary once in a while, wouldn't it? Uh, learn, how, learn some words and how to string them together into competent sentences. That would be good. No, you've got one. It's out in the glove compartment of your car. It's the manual to your car. Almost everybody has one. Very, very few people have ever opened it. In fact, your car will have 60,000 miles on it. Something will happen, and you'll break off the plastic of that book to look in there and try to get an answer. Can I tell you, this is God's manual for your life. You've got to read it. We wonder why we fail. We never read the manual. Read the manual. That's one. Number two, make prayer a priority in your life. Every day, lift your voice up in prayer. Have a prayer time. And then also, the Bible says to pray without ceasing. That's when you're driving down the road. That's when it's okay to pray with your eyes open. Amen. Uh, and, and all the time be praying to the Lord and, and have an attitude of prayer. Listen, if you add prayer into your daily living, it'll help you grow in faith. Number three, whenever the doors are open at church, you're there. You're there. Vance Havner don't, you can't get mad at me because he said it, I didn't. Sunday morning Christianity is the greatest hindrance to true revival. I think there's some truth to that.
When the doors of church are open, be there. Listen, you do these three things. You open your Bible, you stay faithful to church, and you pray. And I know it's simplistic, but you do these three things. I guarantee you, your faith in your life will grow. You say, preacher, that sounds so simple. The Christian life is not brain surgery. The Christian life isn't that difficult to know how to live. It is sometimes difficult to do, but I guarantee you, in fact, you have my personal guarantee that if this does not work in your life, you try it for six months, you read your Bible every day, you pray every day, you're faithful to church every day, I'll give you a personal guarantee if it doesn't work in your life, Brother Russ will write you a check and, and, and reimburse you for anything that it costs you. Amen. Seriously, though, it's not that difficult. We just need to obey God. What is faith? Belief-inspired obedience. We just obey. She judged him faithful who had promised. Faith begins with respect for the source of the promise. Can I say that again? Faith begins with respect for the source of the promise. You don't believe a promise unless you trust the source of that promise. And that's where faith begins. We've got to trust the one that's making the promise. Do you trust God? Now, really, think about it. Do you trust God? No one is as faithful as God. Let me read you a couple of verses, and there's many more, but Lamentations 3.22, it is of the Lord's mercies that we are not consumed because his compassions fail not. 1 Thessalonians 5.24, faithful is he that calleth you and who will also do it. 2 Thessalonians 3.3, but the Lord is faithful who shall establish you and keep you from evil. 2 Timothy 2.13, if we believe not, yet he abideth faithful. I love that verse. He cannot deny himself. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 23, for he is faithful in all all that he promised. What about men? Are men faithful? Read a couple verses for that. Jeremiah 17, 5, Thus saith the Lord, Cursed be the man that trusteth in man. (laughs) Jeremiah was kind of straightforward with his language, wasn't he? Cursed be the man that trusteth in man. Psalm 118, 9, It is better to trust in the Lord than to put confidence in princes. That's talking about even your government. It's better to put trust in the Lord than to even trust your government. Isaiah 2.22 Cease ye from man whose breath is in his nostril from wherein is he to be accounted of. Micah 7.5 Trust ye not in a friend. Put ye no confidence in a guide. Yet in spite of God's perfect record of faithfulness and his fact that he's never failed and despite man's record of failure, why do we constantly put our trust in man and not in God? Well, there's one answer, lack of faith. Lack of faith. We need to trust God. She judged him faithful who had promised. And so we need to trust God uh, completely and wholly. And then number three, the power of faith. Uh, Sarah all herself received strength to conceive seed and was delivered of a child when she was past age. Sarah's faith is what gave her Power. Can I tell you today that faith is not for weaklings? Faith uh, does is not for the weak, nor does it make one weak. Satan often mocks uh, the Christian. In fact, we've heard uh, late night hosts do that as well. Talk about how Christianity is for the weak and it's a crutch uh, to those that are weak minded. That is not at all the case uh, because uh, faith is for the strong and makes people strong. Uh, those without faith are the weak ones. Cain did not have faith, became the first murderer. Lot did not have much faith. His life was a mess. Samson did not portray faith in his life. He died in shame. 
Judas Iscariot did not have faith. He ended his own life. We could go on and on and on. It is not uh, the faith that makes a person weak. It is the lack of faith that makes them weak. Sarah's faith was not perfect. and In fact, she, as we saw, laughed in unbelief, but then she learned to laugh in, in, uh, in faith, uh, Genesis 21.6. I mean, look what she had to overcome, really. Tell a 90-year-old woman, hey, you're going to have a baby. <laughs> You'd laugh too, wouldn't you? That's pretty ridiculous. And uh, who's the father? Well, your 100-year-old husband. No, this is a, something to overcome. And so before we're a little uh, hard on her, let's just consider the situation they're in. Sarah herself receives strength, the Bible says. Dunamis, that is, uh, that, that means the word we get dynamite from, power. She received strength. The power that she received was not her own. She received it through faith. 90-year-old Sarah is not going to conceive and to have a child in her own strength. We understand that, don't we? In fact, often God has to allow us to come to the end of our own strength before his power ever kicks in in our life. Isaac was not born until Abraham and Sarah were both way too old for it to happen naturally. Could he have given them Isaac when they were in their 40s? Yeah, but he didn't, did he? He waited until they were unable to do it of their own power, until they were not capable naturally of doing it. God waited until they were, don't miss this, he waited until they were absolutely unable to do it themselves. They had to rely on him. They had to have faith, and that's when God did it. You'll find in your Christian life, that there is a tremendous power in helplessness. Just being helpless. You can't do anything yourself for yourself spiritually anymore, and so you render yourself helplessness. In fact, human failure is the foundation for spiritual success. Can I say that again? Human failure is the foundation for spiritual success. His fullness awaits our emptiness. His opportunity awaits our importunity. Your helplessness is often God's starting point to bring power into your life. When you're at the end of your rope, in fact, you find out that's exactly where you need to be, at the end of your own efforts. It's at the end of our rope that we find we're the most powerful as a Christian. It's when we've done all that we can do. There's nothing else that we can do anymore that we're at the most powerful stage of our spiritual life. My inadequacy leads me to his capability. Now, this is how it is in the Christian life. Because as long as we think we can do it ourselves, we're going to continue to fail. And so we must come to the point of helplessness. Helplessness is the most powerful force then known to man, spiritually speaking. Simply put, you can't do it. Remember what Jesus said in John 15? Without me, you can do very little. Remember that? That's not what he said. Without me, you can do nothing. Nothing. And spiritually speaking, we can't. Can I help you today? And you know this, but let me make this statement. I guarantee you this is going to hit you right where you are, some of you. Trying to control what you cannot change only leads to frustration. You ever tried to control something you can't change? Ooh, it's frustrating, isn't it? We can't do Listen, 
Can I tell you today, if you want real power in your Christian life, you get to the point of helplessness. You can't do it yourself. By the way, that's how it is with salvation. You know, as long as you think church membership will save you, God can't save you. As long as you live your life, you're doing good works, and I'm, I'm going to get to heaven because I'm a good person, and I'm doing this for those people, and I'm giving to the poor. And I remember how the man that came to Jesus said, I do all these things. I give to the poor. I keep the commandments, and yet something was missing. Can I tell you that God can't save you as long as you think you're saving yourself? You've got to come to the cross absolutely helpless, recognize there's nothing that I can do to get myself into heaven. God, I accept by faith your your uh, death on the cross of Calvary as payment for my sins, and only then can God save you when you're helpless. It's the same way in the Christian life. There's power in helplessness. As long as you're trying to fix your own problems, he just can't help you talking about the power of helplessness. If you're today, even here this morning in church service this morning, you're at your wit's end. Can I tell you today, that's wonderful because you're right where we need to be for God to kick in uh, his power in our life. Now, you might agree with this, and I bet if you think about it, you will, that some of the greatest works of God in your life was when you were absolutely helpless. You couldn't do anything. Maybe you were at a very low point in your life, and you were just done. Maybe you went to an altar. Lord, I can't do it anymore. And then God's power kicks in. we got to be helpless. God is waiting for someone right in this room today. God is waiting for someone who will just trust him. Just trust him. God, I've tried. By the way, if you're doing it on your own, how's that worked so far? <laughs> I mean, that's a rhetorical question because when we do it on our own, we make a mess out of our life. Let him do the work in your life. God's waiting for someone to trust him. And he wants us to trust him so that we can. he can show us that even when we're weak, Paul said, when I am weak, then am I strong because God's strength is on us. God may be trying to message you right now. Stop depending on your inadequate human resources and just let me handle it. Trust me. Sarah had power. That power came from faith. And moving right on, the productivity of faith. Look at verse number 12. Word Hebrews 11, therefore sprang there even of one and him as good as dead, so many as the stars of the sky and multitude and as the sand which is by the seashore innumerable. Here we see the harvest of the result of Sarah's faith. Because when we reap, we're going to, or when we sow, we reap what we sow. And Sarah reaped abundantly. It tells us that by faith, she had a child. Now, we understand that that's all Sarah had faith about was having that child. Now, the writer of Hebrews kind of pulls back and gives us the big picture. Because it ended up not only being about a little baby, it was a much bigger picture. And he says that from that child uh, came millions, like the stars in the sky like the sand at the seashore. Listen, our faith does more than just affect our immediate circumstances. Now, sometimes that's all we can see, but our faith does more than that. Sarah's faith had effects that is still being felt today over 4,000 years later. Let me tell you about another lady. This lady married a 26-year-old preacher when she was just 19 years old. They had 19 children. Nine of those children died as infants. Another child died when a maid accidentally smothered it. At her death, 
only eight of her children were still alive. She said this as her, her, when her children were young. She said, I am not a man nor a minister. Yet as a mother, I resolve to begin with my own children. I make as I can spare every night to dialogue with each child apart. One child every day in turn. And she did that. She spent time with each one of her children, teaching them. She was largely or almost completely responsible for their education. Her husband spent his life and most of their finances on a commentary he was trying to write on the book of Job. So he spent all this time trying to pour himself into that. His work today is not remembered. You can't even lay your hands on it anymore. She decided instead to write on the hearts of her children. She invested in them. Through her efforts from this family, two of her children, named John and Charles Wesley, founded the Methodist Church. But it is Susanna Wesley who's called the mother of Methodism. She had the faith not to complain about her circumstances, not to whine about her troubles, but that, yes, some children are gone, but God has left a few with me here, and I'm going to do everything I can to pour into them, and I'm going to have faith that God will use it, and God did use it, and millions of people have come to Christ because of her efforts. Can God use your faith today? Oh, yeah. It might seem to be in just a little small area of your life, but you cannot imagine the expansion of what, that, what can come from that faith. Sarah had no idea. All she did was believe God that she's going to have a baby, even though she's 90 years old. Isn't that amazing? The productivity of faith. Then we see uh, here, under this fact of the fact that faith produces, look at this one word. I love this word in verse number 12. She had faith, verse 11. Verse 12, therefore. Faith always produces a therefore. And you'll like the product. You'll like the therefore. Now, sin also always has a therefore, but you won't like the result of sin. Sow the seed of faith and you'll have a blessed harvest. Sow the seeds of sin and you'll have a dreadful harvest. Galatians 6, 7, be not deceived. Whatever man soweth, that shall he also reap. But the word therefore, it encourages us that faith will not be stopped circumstances might oppose us. Don't you think that circumstances were against Abraham and Sarah having a baby? Yeah, it's impossible. Circumstances might oppose your faith today. But faith will always have within it a therefore. In the Bible, we see that a whole nation of people came from the faith of Sarah. Your faith today, it may not get headlines in the local newspaper. You probably won't be on any kind of top ten lists of your day. But you just continue to have faith in the little area that God commands you and never count your faith as insignificant. It, it might seem like that, but you never know. You just be faithful. Sarah's faith produced only an Isaac in her lifetime. Didn't seem like much, just one child. But oh, what God brought through that one child. Faith will always produce, and the product will be great. Look at what the product is, verse 12. Therefore sprang there even of one, and of him as good as dead. In other words, he, he couldn't have children. He was just as good as dead when it came to having children. And so many as the stars of the sky, sand which lay by the seashore. 
the descendants of Abraham and Sarah have been compared both to stars and to sand. I think that's interesting. The stars, of course, you find in the heavens, and the sand you find down on earth. I think that this could signify both heavenly rewards and earthly rewards. They both had the sands by the seashore and the stars in the heaven. The earthly <coughs> rewards that they had, that speaks of the uh, the fleshly rewards. In other words, the Jewish race that we have, all they have come uh, from uh, that one young man, Isaac. The stars speak of a heavenly reward. The heavenly reward speaks about the spiritual group that came from them known as believers because do you know who ultimately came through the line of Isaac because of Sarah's faith and Abraham's faith and Isaac's birth? You know who years later came through that line? The Lord Jesus Christ himself who paid our redemption price for our sins. So every single one of us are also a recipient of Sarah's faith. Isn't that a blessing? Listen, she had huge, huge rewards. Now let me ask you a question. And you think about this question honestly. What other endeavor in your life can you partake in that produces both earthly and heavenly rewards? There's really nothing else but faith. You can make a lot of money and uh, you can you can be very successful in business. You can affect many people earthly. But what other endeavor other than faith, other than living for God, produces not only earthly rewards, but also eternal rewards. I think that's something I want to be a part of. Faith. Jesus mentioned this difference, this earthly and heavenly difference in John chapter 8 when his critics came to him and they're trying to put their noses up a little bit. They say, we be of Abraham's seed. Abraham is our father. Jesus acknowledged in the next verse, uh, verse number 37 of John 8, he acknowledged they were of Abraham's seed, physically speaking, that in their physical relationship. But then in verse 39, he said, if you were Abraham's children, you would do the works of Abraham. The failure to do the works of Abraham uh, said that they were not of Abraham's seed spiritually. And so there is a physical and there is a spiritual. It's like people thinking today that baptism will get them to heaven or church membership will get them to heaven, or doing any kind of good works will get them to heaven. Uh, those are all fleshly efforts. We, we talked about, in the very first one, we talked about Abel. We mentioned Cain. You know what Cain did? Cain brought his own works to the Lord. And the Lord said, ah, 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 that's not good enough. I asked for a lamb. And Abel's offering was accepted. Cain's offering was not because Abel offered what God asked for. Listen, there is no offering that you can bring to the Lord Jesus Christ. There's no offering you can offer. Your your life, your works, your baptism, your church membership, all those things, nothing that you can offer to God that's good enough. It requires faith. Faith in Christ as your Savior is the only thing that gets a person to heaven. And that comes by faith, not by the flesh. Romans 9, 6, they are not all Israel which are of Israel. Jesus said that. It's like the stars and sand. It's the stars relationship that we need, not the sand relationship. Amen? We need the spiritual one. Now, how about you, friend? The question is clear today. Do you know where you will spend eternity? 